I am so glad you're here. I'm Emily Danielson. Welcome to Bible Idiots, the podcast platform for the teaching ministry of my husband, Mr. Bible Idiot himself, Chris Danielson. And we will return with the Chris and Emily show under a new banner in the near future. But the Bible Idiots brand will now be exclusively for deeper outreach. Now, we've been shown that lives are being impacted and people are growing. It's been amazing to see. And what I can tell you is that when Chris takes to the pulpit and shares the word, it seems so on point and directly from our Lord for the times in which we live right now. I live with him so I can testify that there is no doubt that these deep teachings are divinely inspired. We present in this exclusive use of the Bible Idiots brand, the first of cluster drops for your binge listening and growth in Jesus for such a time as this. This is the beginning of a multi-part sermon. The series is titled, Joseph, God Meant It for Good. In part one, Chris takes us to the events surrounding the birth of Joseph, and this message is entitled, Gems from a Rough Patch. So may the Lord richly bless you as you listen. We're starting a series right now. And it's going to be anywhere from a 16 to 20 week series, but it won't be all in a row. A couple times a month, we're going to come back to it. But this series is very important. It's important to this church, and it's important to you and I as we take it in. Because I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and putting this together has really impacted me in a greater way. See, the story is about Joseph. And I have studied Joseph, even wrote a paper about Joseph in seminary. But it was like all brand new since I got to Kansas and started looking through this. See, the pages of our Bible are filled with stories of hundreds of men and women, and nearly every story contains one common thread. Whether the character is a king or a peasant, a prophet or a general, fisherman or a preacher, nearly every person mentioned in the Bible has his or her dark side revealed. You ever notice that? Noah got drunk. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lied to save their own skin. Moses committed murder. David committed adultery. Solomon was an idolater. Peter cursed and lied. John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest of the human flesh, doubted into Jesus. The list can go on and on and on. The pages of the Bible are so filled with the sins of the people mentioned in the Bible, John Piper wrote a book called Spectacular Sins and how God used flawed people to do amazing things. But the verses we will read throughout this series and today is going to introduce us to a man named Joseph. He is the 11th son of the patriarch Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his name, his name means, Joseph means, Jehovah has added. He lived 110 years, and there is not a single sin attributed to this man in Scripture. He endured trials and inflictions that most cannot even imagine, and nowhere does the Bible even hint that his faith in God wavered. Worthy of our study? Yeah. He never took his eyes off the Lord. 
whether he was in the place of favor in his father's house or whether he was languishing in a prison. The dude was the same guy. Hardship didn't harden his heart. Riches and power didn't corrupt him. He was the same man regardless of the circumstances in which he found himself. Joseph is a truly unique example for us. He was a unique man. Perhaps this is why the Holy Spirit gives Joseph so much room in the Scriptures. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to count this out, but I know that a lot of people have, and I look at their research, and then I give it to you like I thought of it myself. (laughs) If you don't think others are doing that, you're fooling yourself. Listen to this. Joseph receives the same number of chapters as Abraham, 14. Yet there is 25% more verses dedicated to Joseph's life. He was an incredible man of God. While Joseph received much attention in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he's only mentioned four times. John 4, Acts 7, Hebrews 11, Revelation 7. You don't need to write that down. And so we're left to learn about Joseph as the record given to us in the book of Genesis. Now, here's kind of the key to the whole series, is that another characteristic of Joseph is that there are so many numbers of areas where he is a picture of the future Lord Jesus Christ. And as you study his life, you encounter just a hundred peculiar, particular points where Joseph is a type of Jesus. Now, besides being a godly man and a type of Jesus, uh, the study of Joseph's life is valuable because he stands as a model for what every believer should strive to be. And the first thing we know is that we can't do it in our own strength. So we sang the song, Closer Walk With Thee. You've heard me say, if you know Jesus, you're as close as you're ever going to get. That should say, growing walk with thee. Now we waver, we wander, we come back, we're close, we're far. I get it. The book of James says, uh, you know, draw close to the Lord, he'll draw close to you. That's taken out of context a lot of times, but that's for another day. Point is, if you want to know what it means to be surrendered to God, to be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, to let the Holy Spirit in your life, and to live that way, Joseph's our portrait. He's our example. See, he never failed. He never fell. He never wavered, and he never complained. He never compromised. He never lost his power with God. He stood his ground for the glory of God in terrible situations, and his life demonstrates the triumph of faith. Joseph's life demonstrates that faith triumphs. And beyond all that, the greatest aspects of Joseph's life is now clearly that the hand of God was in it. Cannot be any other way. The providence of God is now on display throughout the whole story of Joseph. In every event of Joseph's life, he was a living example, written 14 pages or 14 chapters in Genesis of Romans 8:28. So we're going to spend the next several Sunday mornings on and off over six months, maybe longer, with a man named Joseph. And the scripture verse that's going to be the foundation for the whole series I'm going to put up on the screen is Genesis 50, 20. Genesis 50, 20 
is the overall theme for this. It says, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And so I'd like to take the life of Joseph and share around the theme week after week, God planned it for good. And so I hope to show you that God can take every circumstance in life, whether we see it as good or evil, and use it to make us stronger in our walk with him. And I want you to understand that there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God working behind the scenes of your life and of my life to bring us to a place of Christian maturity. That's the deal. That's, that's, that's the deal. I'll say it again, because I don't want you to miss it. I want you to understand through this sermon series that there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God working behind the scenes of your life and mine to bring us to a place of Christian maturity. I'm excited that Bill Howes, our worship pastor, he's one of the more spiritually mature guys I've ever met. But he wobbles. I'm your pastor. I wobble. Chris, aren't you supposed to be Christian mature to be our shepherd? I, yeah. So it sure bites on a Tuesday when I let it all go because somebody cut me off in traffic, isn't it? <laughs> we grow continually in the Lord. And he gets us to a place where you look back 10 years from ago when you thought you were mature and you're like, man, I'd like to go back and talk to that guy. So that's what we're going to do with this God Planned It for Good series. Today's message is entitled, Gem from the Rough Patch. And it's going to be based on three verses starting in Genesis 30, verses 22 through 24. And I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son, and she said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add another son to me. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children now. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Be seated, please. You know, we hear a lot in our day about dysfunctional homes. In fact, dysfunctional homes are being celebrated, one sitcom after another, one drama story after another. There are many homes that are in turmoil today. I mean, absentee parents, other evils. Evil's mainstream now. I mean, demonic presence in our world is just fun, and it's right there in front of us. Every hockey game, every football game you watch, the commercials, it's, it's mind-blowing. The sexualization, the pornification of our country has left people with a twisted skew of reality. And we've got evils and many homes in tatters, many lives in tatters, and we know that the answer is Jesus Christ. In many cases, it seems that some of these little children don't stand a chance growing up in this environment. Then we, as we get older, we're told we're a product of our environment. And to a certain degree, we are all products of our upbringing. Uh, you know, we bring certain traits with us, habits, characteristics from the homes that were raised. Thankfully, that doesn't necessarily have to stick in every case and in every circumstance. See, Joseph blows this theory out of the water. Before Joseph was thrown in the pit, before he served as a slave in Potiphar's house, before he languished in prison, before he stood as the prime minister of Egypt, Joseph spent his formative years in a home that I'm going to show you today was marked by sin, 
sadness, strife, and struggles. Yet Joseph became a great man of God and was used by the Lord in tremendous ways. Today I want to examine the early years of Joseph's life and I want to talk about those formative years that could have formed and should have formed this boy into an evil man. Instead, I want you to see that God overcame Joseph's family, his upbringing, and all the negative influences he faced. Looking at Joseph's family in the early years, most people would conclude that Joe, oh, he didn't have a chance. After all, his brothers didn't turn out too well, did they? But God in his providence and his power was able to overcome all the negatives in Joseph's life. And I want you to see how God dug the gems from the rough patch. So let's start with point number one today. Point number one, the miracle of Joseph's birth. Just the miracle of of his birth. The testimony of his birth is pretty strong. Joseph was born into a family embroiled in the midst of controversy. If you don't know the story, this is going to go pretty quick. If you know the story, this is going to be a review. Maybe your eyes will be open. But Jacob, Joseph's father, fell in love with a girl named Rachel and agreed to work for her father Laban for seven years. This kind of starts out in Genesis 29. The deal was struck that after seven years, the wedding day would arrive. So he worked for seven years to get to this point, right? Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was the oldest, and Rachel was by far the most attractive. So on the evening of the wedding, Uncle Laban tricked the trickster. You know Jacob was the trickster who tricked his brother Esau, right? You guys remember that? And he sent his eldest daughter Leah into Jacob's tent instead of Rachel. So Jacob spends his night, wedding night with Leah. In the morning, discovers that he's been tricked. Apparently, it was quite dark, and they were drinking a lot of wine. So Jacob then confronts his father-in-law, Laban, who agrees to now let Jacob have Rachel because it, it was already done. He's married to Leah now. You can't change it. You got to understand that culture. Can't change it. You can have Rachel, Laban says, but I want seven more years. And Jacob agreed. Now, he didn't have to wait seven years to get Rachel. He had to wait, wait the one traditional wedding week with Leah. Then he got Rachel. But he had to do another seven years on top of it. So within a week, Jacob has two young wives. These two wives are sisters. And Jacob clearly loves Rachel more than he does Leah. What kind of stage does that set? Can you see jealousy, bitterness, and anger just hanging on the walls? So it isn't long now before Leah gets pregnant. Not once, but four times, and she gives Jacob four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, one after another. Rachel comes unglued. The worst thing that could happen to a woman in that day would be to be childless. Anywhere in the Old Testament, Hannah when she gives birth to Samuel, Sarah trying to find Isaac, Being barren was a massive blow to your life in that culture as a woman. So she takes matters into her own hands, much like her grandmother-in-law, and gives Jacob her handmaid, Bila, to have children in her place. Bila has two sons, Dan and Naphtali. Leah sees this and knows that she isn't going to have children, so she gives her handmaid, Zilpah, to Jacob, because she, she seemed to have dried up after four. 
And so Zilpah, she has two sons, Gad and Asher. Eventually, Leah got the motor cranked up again, and she had three more kids. Ishkar, Zublon, and a daughter named Dinah. Now, are you confused? Yet. Jacob has ten sons and a daughter, but his beloved wife, the one that he loved more than anything, Rachel, is still barren. However, God in his providence hears Rachel's pleas for a son, and Joseph is born in our text from today. Joseph's birth is a testimony in and of itself because God opened a barren womb to bring him into the world. He was born because of divine intervention. By the way, do you know, are you conscious, can you comprehend that you are here as well because of divine sovereignty? God decided to send you into this world. Your birth was not an accident. It was the will of God. That is a testimony in and of itself. Surely Jacob was proud of all of his sons. Surely he was pleased with his little daughter Dinah. But something was still missing. And as he watched the woman he loved suffer because she could not have children, it must have broke the dude's heart. But God heard their prayers. He opens Rachel's womb and Joseph was born. The birth of little Joseph brought about a time of rejoicing and happiness in Jacob's home. Every little wrinkled baby affects every home the same way. The little dictators come in and they dominate, don't they? <laughs> but they bring with them such joy and satisfaction. Thank God for the privilege of seeing kids come into the world. The timing of Joseph's birth is really cool as well. Joseph was the 11th son born to Jacob, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn, and from all outward appearances, now think about this, Joseph entered this life at a huge disadvantage. It did not appear that there was much hope for his future in the family. He would always be the low man on the totem pole, being tossed around and picked on by the others. The timing of his birth, really, seriously, could not have been worse from a human perspective. But we will see. God knew what he was doing, and just like cream, Joseph rose to the top. You might look at your own life today and feel like everything has been against you. Don't count the Lord out. He's got a plan for you. And he will implement and execute that plan. No matter how things may appear. And one of my favorite teachers in this country is Ray Comfort. And he has a book called God Has a Wonderful Plan for Your Life. And he throttles the notion that everything's going to be hunky-dory. The wonderful plan for your life and for my life is that God gets glory and it may not look like what we think it's going to look like. When you come to Jesus, don't come trying to be the better salesman, have a better jump shot, be the, be the better housewife, whatever you fill in the blank. It ain't about being better. It's about being saved. And it's about God getting the glory. And that's the plan that God has for each and every one of us. It may not look like what we think it is, but when God's involved... It is well with you. It is well with you. Number two, point two today. The maze of Joseph's boyhood. The maze of Joseph's boyhood. Joseph's upbringing was not an easy one. In fact, his early years were like a minefield. It's amazing anyone could survive the pain and turmoils in, in, in their sanity. And I'm not even talking about once he got the coat of many colors. We're not even anywhere near there. I mean... To try to have the integrity and keep your sanity and emotions intact, I want to take a look real quick. And it's going to go fast, so pay attention. I want to look at some of the events that marked Joseph's young life. 
We've already talked about the problems at home. One man with children by four women living under the same roof. Well, that ain't a recipe for a disaster, is it? Add to this fact, Rachel was loved more than any of the other women. At a young age, Joseph and his family had to make a hasty depart from Grandfather Laban's house. They flee under the cover of darkness. It's in Genesis 31. Why? Because Jacob had cleaned out his father-in-law through deception. See, we hear Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we think Jacob's the patriarch whose name becomes Israel. We're going to get to it in a minute. That's the conversion. Jacob's not a, a saved man at this point. He's the trickster. He's the deceiver. Imagine the fear as your grandfather and his whole host is chasing the family and overtakes the family and has harsh words with your father and your young boy watching this go down. Laban accuses Jacob of stealing his household gods. Jacob denies it, but it turns out Rachel had taken him and she lied to her dad about it. So Jacob and Laban make a covenant to stay away from one another. Laban departs and Joseph never sees his grandfather again. By the way, Genesis 31, verse 49, that is not a prayer of blessing. That's a threat of violence. That's how, the, that's how this went down. Jacob and Laban make a covenant to stay away from one another. And as you travel, word comes that your brother Esau now is coming to say hello. He's coming out with many men to meet the family. 400. Jacob, obviously, is afraid of Esau because he stole his birthright, which was basically cleaning out somebody's bank account back in those days. And so, obviously, Jacob was a little worried about Esau. He divides his flocks into three parts to be used as a bribe to soften Esau's heart. Now, the rest of this list is harsh, but I want you to check it out because I want you to really get an understanding of all the turmoil that Joseph grew up with. Joseph's older sister, Dinah, was raped by a guy named Shechem. Two of his brothers, Simon and Levi, tricked the men of the city with Shechem and eventually kill them all. That really sounds like my whole neighborhood right there. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies. Jacob does nothing to make things right. Rachel, Joseph's mother, dies while giving birth to his little brother, Benjamin, in Genesis 35, 16 through 20. Reuben, the oldest brother, commits incest with his father's concubine, which is about one of the lowest things you can do in that culture. Jacob knows about it and, as usual, does nothing. Joseph's other grandfather, Isaac, died and buried. Joseph's older brothers were all wicked, self-centered men. Jacob was a passive father who allowed his children to do as they pleased with little correction. And Jacob was also guilty of extreme favoritism. He loved Joseph more than the rest of his kids, and he let every kid know it. Joseph lost his beloved mother at a young age. Joseph was surrounded, if you really want to lay it out, Joseph surrounded by rape, murder, incest, treachery, idolatry, jealousy, death, and hatred. What a grab bag of goodness that is, huh? This was a very negative and hostile environment in which to raise a child. Now, many people watching online or in this room or listening to the podcast, we may look at our own upbringing and see the problems of how we were brought up. Some of us were brought up in violent homes. Others were raised with drinking, drugs, and hellish living. Some may have been abused in one way or another. 
And a lot of times, we can either romance the past and try to make it better than it was, or we can take some of these negative things and blow them up to be a lot worse than they were. But a lot of us know heartache as children. Hearing what Joseph faced may dredge up a bad memory or two. But I want to encourage you to place your past in the hands of a sovereign Lord. Trust Him with the grace to live with the memories and for the strength to avoid making some of those same mistakes. And overall, to forgive. Not for them, but for yourself. So I'm looking at the problems that existed in Jacob's home. And having been kind of a quasi-counselor one way or another for 20 years, seen a lot, heard a lot, experienced a lot. I always go back to what I have witnessed of beauty coming out of the ashes of people's lives, and it's always surrender to Jesus Christ. It's always the power of the Lord Jesus to make somebody different permanently. I call it salvaged. I'm only standing here today because God took me off that salvage pile. Like if you find something at, like an, I always picture like an old radio. You find it at the dump and, the, and, and you got to clean it up and you got to attach the wire and put batteries in it and ta-da, it's playing music. You salvage something. That's my life. So looking at the problems that existed in Jacob's home and looking at what I have experienced over the last 25, 20, 25 years, whatever it is. Now, the older I get, the more it's like I don't even care. I used to be able to say, that was 17 years ago. Now it's like, that was back then. So I came up with a list that, uh, just for the record, I want to teach you how to build a dysfunctional home today. These are the things I want you to put into practice if you really want to have the most dysfunctional home you can possibly have. You ready? First of all, be less than truthful with one another. Always be jealous of other family members. Demonstrate favoritism to at least one of your children. You know what makes me happy about my parenthood? That my kids have accused me of favoritism, like, all the time. But they've all, all four of my kids have all been accused of being the favorite. I stand here victorious. <laughs> Try to help God accomplish his will in your home. Don't let God do stuff. You, you make sure you get in there and get your hands dirty. Practice deception whenever you can get away with it. Always be deceiving. Try to operate outside the will of God if you can't help him fix it. And then for sure, here, here's a big, big key. You need to do this. You need to live a life of anger, manipulation, and control. That's how you get to the dysfunctional family. And whatever you do, whatever you do, never acknowledge that sin is the root cause of the dysfunction of the home. Don't ever go there. Because there's a solution there. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ to wash that away. So you can't have that dysfunction continue once the sin is taken out of the equation. See, there were some positives in Joseph's life too. Not everything was negative. There were a few moments along the way, and I want to share a few of you that might have had a hand in shaping this as we get the foundation today for this long series. And one night, Jacob sent his family ahead, and he stayed behind to pray about the upcoming meeting with Esau. He's sure Esau's not bringing 400 men because he wants to say hello and have a barbecue. 
Jacob had an encounter with God that night that changed his life forever. I call this the big Old Testament conversion. I can't explain what happened. You can read it for yourself. It's when Jacob wrestles with the angel all night. There was a conversion. Some people say it's heretical to say that that was Jesus. Others say it had to be Jesus. I say, I don't know. I just know this. Jacob held on all night because he knew he can't keep living this way. Some of us know we couldn't keep living in that dysfunction. We had to have a breakthrough. There had to be a way, and on our knees, weeping, many of us, we've accepted Christ as our Savior, given our life to Him, surrendered to Him, not because He's going to make our life better, but because He's the only thing that will save us. And then there's sometimes a love for other people that you don't want to have pours out on you, and you hold on to God all night for these people and for yourself for your family. And that night, he got a new name. He will no longer be called the trickster, the deceiver, the heel grabber. No, the word Jacob is going to be replaced with the name Israel, which means prince with God. Jacob has a new name, a new walk, a new life. He could never live like the trickster again. Surely the change in his father was something young Joseph never forgot. God calls Jacob back to Bethel. What does Jacob do? He's a new dude. Jacob demands that they get rid of all their false gods. He calls his family together to worship God in heaven alone. And while they're there, Jacob builds an altar, worships the Lord, and gives testimony of how he first met the Lord. Surely young Joseph never forgot the lessons he learned and the testimonies he heard at Bethel. Genesis 35.5 tells us that the family journeyed together and enjoyed divine protection. There were wicked, evil, you know, warlike tribes all around them, but they were never attacked. That had to make an impression on Joseph. Like I say, I can find flaws in, our, you know, flaws in my upbringing. You can fly, find flaws in your upbringing. If we look close enough, anybody can find the flaws. What good does that do? Yet most of us can look back if we are honest and not trying to prove a point, but we can look back and we can see the time God revealed his hand in our lives, even at young ages. I can remember prayers, godly people, church services that have left a mark on my life. Thank God for those times when the Lord moved in spite of my darkness and sin, in spite of my immaturity, and revealed his presence his presence and his providential protection, the Lord was there. You can, many of you can say the same. You can never underestimate the importance of positive influences on a child's life. In Joseph's case, the positive influence obviously had much more impact than the negative ones. And I hope the same can be said about yours and mine as well. Point number three. The message from Joseph's battles. The message from Joseph's battles. There's three of them. The message of hope, the message of home, and the message of help. Let's start with hope. In the early years of Joseph's life, if they teach us anything, they teach us that your childhood does not have to ruin you. On the same note, your past should never be allowed to define you. Just because you came up rough doesn't mean you have to live that way now. 
Just because you were raised with harsh words and violent tempers does not mean that you have to use the same words and display the same actions. It doesn't have to go down that way. You can overcome the past with the help of God. Take a look at how you act and, you know, people say, yeah, well, you know, uh, that's how I was raised. What a cop-out. Well, my mother was ill-natured, so I guess I, I'm ill-natured too. No, it's how you choose to be. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. Well, my parents and my grandparents were all negative, so that's just our family nature. I'm a negative person. No, it doesn't have to be that way. It's, it's, it's not how you have to be. To blame your actions on people in your past is a smokescreen, if we really want to be honest about it, for a heart that refuses to repent of sin and be changed by the power of God. I'm going to say that one more time because I don't want you to misunderstand me. My past and your past, by leaning on it as an excuse for lameness today, is nothing more than a smokescreen of a heart that refuses to repent of sin and be changed by the power of God. God would change us if we will let him. Your past should never be allowed to define who you are today, even yesterday. I can't tell you how many times I've said this, the year and a half I've been in this town, but I'm going to say it again. Daily, in keeping with repentance, we surrender and serve the Lord. When? Daily. What if people like Peter, Paul, King David, King Josiah, what if they had adopted that, what I hear from a lot of folks in our day? They all had pains and problems from the past, but they overcame them with the help of the Lord and rose above which would have held them down. We are in 2022. Look around. Read a news headline. It's time for us to have hope. Because God changes things. Even if it's not the way we want it to be, our heart can be full as we serve the Lord. There's a message of home. If we take anything away from Joseph, from the home of Joseph, it should be the truth that our home should be better than that. We should have godliness in our homes. We should fall down and ask the Lord to help us if we don't have a godly home. His praises should be heard in our homes. Scripture should be read in our homes. Our homes should be places where, if you have children, they hear the word of God. Our homes should be places where Jesus' name is lifted up continually. Every home that makes up a church should stand as a shining light for other homes in the church and in the world. And a lot of us, myself included, we fail at that from time to time. So then daily, in keeping with repentance, we surrender and serve the Lord. And our circumstances don't define us. The message of help, as I consider the problems that plagued the early years of Joseph, there is a great blessing that I can take away with me today. I can rejoice that God was able to take the raw materials of this man's life and refine it and shape it into pure gold for his glory. That is a blessing to me. Looking at Joseph from the outside and considering all of his problems and dysfunctions of the home, it would have been easy to conclude that he would amount to nothing. But God took this life and shaped him into one of the greatest men of the Bible. That's power. That's the power of grace. 
That's the power of God. It gives me hope as a parent. I know I made mistakes raising my children, but it's a comfort to know that God can overcome my idiocracy and use my children in spite of me. That's, that's good news. It gives me hope as a pastor to see people moving around today with what seems like the deck is stacked against them. It's a comfort to know that God can work in their lives in spite of their problems and can save them and use them. And it gives me hope as a person as well. When I think of my own past and my own baggage, I used to carry a lot of it around even to this day sometimes. And I'm encouraged when I understand that God can use me in spite of who I am, where I've been, what I have seen, and the things I've done. And I hope it gives you hope as well. So let me conclude. When God went looking for the apostle of the Gentiles, somebody to reach the Gentiles, he didn't look inside his church that he had going on at that point. He went to an unlikely rough patch and dug out some raw materials that no one would have chosen. And when he finished refining and shaping it, he had a gem called the apostle Paul. When God went to choose a new king for Israel, he didn't look in Saul's palace. He went to a rough patch called Bethlehem and dug out some very unlikely raw materials. And he shaped it into King David, a man after his own heart. And when God sought to lead somebody out of Egypt, the whole country out of Egypt, he found a very unlikely rough patch. Talk about a rough patch, a washed-up 80-year-old fugitive who was keeping his father-in-law's sheep, and God finished refining it, and it turned out to be Moses. The Bible in the church is filled with stories just like the, these. If God can take that in spite of the world and the past has tried to do to us and can make our unlikely lives, the elements of our unlikely lives, and shape it into valuable gems for his glory, he can do it with each and every one of us, and that's why we come and praise his name. Each and every one of us, when we sing in this place, we're a little bit closer to being gems. The Bible is filled with stories like that. That's why I love it so much. If you've never trusted Jesus and he's dealing with your heart, you need to come and be saved. If he's spoken to you about life you are living, you need to come and give your raw materials back into his hands. And if you need to change your home, you can come and dedicate that to the Lord today. Now, you guys have to understand, I have been around this for a long time. And I've seen preachers get to this part of the message. And they have the light music playing and they sing 36 verses of Just As I Am. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, slip up your hand and then they count them up. Yeah, 14 more were saved to my servant. I don't play that game. I don't care. I don't care if one person is saved or if a million people get saved by my ministry. I don't care. That's not, I'm not, I, I, I refuse to keep score. So I'm not playing any games. If you can't, if, you, if God's calling you right now and you can't get up and walk down here, I'll stay and pray with you when the service is over. There's no reason to drag it out. But I'm telling you, if God's calling you, I implore you to put those demonic thoughts of what other people think of you aside and focus on God. The altar will be available for you when the newsboy starts playing. If you want to come forward, I will pray with you with whatever God's got on your heart. Let's together stop making excuses and let the Lord make us in who he wants us to be. 
thank you for spending your time with Mr. Bible Idiot, Chris Danielson. To learn more or to reach out to us, go to BibleIdiots.com. You can email us directly at Chris at BIBmediagroup.com, which is in the upper left-hand corner of the website. Another way to connect with us is our church app. Simply search Lifehouse Church Kansas in the App Store or Google Play Store. The Lifehouse app has an option to give to this outreach. Look for Bible Idiots under the giving module within the app. From all of us associated with the Bible Idiots brand, thanks for listening and please share this podcast with your world if the Lord leads you to do so. Many blessings. I'm Emily Danielson. May you get into the word of God today and go and serve your King.